um, if we are all a bit tired, um, really is a blessing um, how, how God has answered answered prayers for, for Sarah and Anna. So, um, I don't know about you, but uh, one of the the main themes of, of lockdown for, for us has been um, trying to get out uh, while staying within our 5K, 5K limit. And uh, one place that we've become very well acquainted with uh, during the lockdown has been the Phoenix Park. And um, fortunately, at the entrance of the Phoenix Park is, is like it's 4.8 kilometers or something from, from our house. So, <laughs> um, and then we, we take a liberal interpretation once, once we actually get into the, into the park. Uh, but as a result, we've got to see a lot of the park, um, rediscover the park in many ways. And of course, because it's the biggest park in Europe, there's, there's a lot to see. Um, but one place that we've 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 come across or rediscovered very much in the in the last week or so um, has been a place that would be quite well known to to people who've who've grown up in Dublin. Um, and maybe it's maybe it's newer to to uh, more recent folk, but it's essentially it's called the Magazine Fort. And it's essentially an army fort that's actually within uh, the grounds of of the Phoenix Park, and um, it's quite an impressive uh, looking looking fort. Um, it's it's uh, in the shape of a star, and it has these big big walls and a, and a large dry moat around it. It's about I say the moat is about ten feet deep, but it sits on top of a of a hill, and we we get the kids to. To run up and down the hill to kind of uh, tire them out a bit, um, but it's a very it's it would be a very foreboding looking structure um, if you were you know attempting to to um, attack it, and um, it's it's called a magazine fort because essentially that's where they had all the ammunition. So the British the British forces it was it was built in seventeen. 30s and the, the British forces that's where they put all their, their ammunition and there are slits if, if any of you know you'll know there's slits in, in the walls for, for the guns uh, and the artillery to go out and, and there's been a couple of times that it's been attempted raids have been have been made on it uh, to, to, to limit its success <clears throat> but I ju it just struck me uh, there the last week when I, I was just looking at it just how imposing it is and how difficult um, it would be to um, essentially ambush it or um, take it over. And I was thinking of that especially um, in the context of the passages that we're, 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 we're going to look at today in, in 1 Samuel. So if you'll turn with me uh, to 1 Samuel, and we're continuing where we left off, and it's 1 Samuel uh, chapter 14. So we left off last week. Uh, Rufus uh, was was sharing from First Samuel uh, chapter thirteen, and if you can remember to last week, uh, the context of the story was Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, King Saul's son, had made a raid on the the garrison of the um, Philistines, and as a result. Um, the Philistines were, were none too happy 
and the, we we see that they amassed a true uh, um, an army of some thirty thousand chariots and six thousand horsemen against um, Israel, and this led to to widespread uh, fear amongst the Israelites. So much so that Saul, who originally had a band of three thousand um, faithful um, warriors with him, that that had reduced down to six hundred, uh, because most of the others had left. Either they'd either joined or gone over to the to the to Philistines, or they they were hiding in caves and holes in in the hills and mountains of of Israel and the that that the countryside there. And so there was a lot of uh, fear um, at the time in, in the nation of Israel. And the, the Philistines had moved forward their frontier, so to speak, eastwards across Israel into east of a place called Beth Avon. And some people uh, think that's the same place as Bethel, uh, which was a prominent town in, in Israel at the time. So the Philistines were advancing. They were setting up their post, and they set up a post at the place called Michmash in um, in the mountains of um, Israel, Benjamite country. When Benja Benjamin, ben, the tribe of Benjamin was was the tribe that uh, King Saul and Jonathan were both actually from, so they would have been familiar with the territory. So that's where we left off. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to read the first part of chapter 14. Jonathan defeats the Philistines. Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did, he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahatub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sena. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. So his armor bearers said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. If they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say thus, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand and this will be a sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden. Then 
the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him and they fell before Jonathan. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed him. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. And there was trembling in the camp, in the field and among all the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled and the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked and there was the multitude melting away and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And when they had called the roll, surprisingly, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. And Saul said to Ahijah, bring the ark of God here. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. Now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise was in the camp of the Philistines, that noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were assembled with him, and they went to battle. And indeed, every man's sword was against his neighbor, and there was very great confusion. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them in the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them into battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day and the battle shifted to Beth-Avon. Father, we just pray for your word now, Lord. Um, we pray that your word uh, <coughs> would be an encouraging word. It would be an encouraging word, uh, Father. And Lord, that whatever it is you have to say to us today would be uh, clear uh, to our hearts and to our minds. We pray for the illumination of your word by your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So I was just thinking of a title for this um, uh, this message today, and one title that came to me was "Blessed, blessed are the risk takers." Blessed are the risk takers. So we see here in in uh, chapter fourteen, the beginning of chapter fourteen. As I said, Israel was in a state of fear of the Philistines. And it, not only was it because of the, um, the, the number of, of the Philistines, because um, there were so many, but also because of their military prowess and their um, weaponry. So, when we left off at the end of chapter 13, we found that the Israelites actually had no weapons except for Saul and Jonathan. They were the only ones who had weapons from all out of all Israel. And the Israelites would have to go, even if they wanted to get um, tools just to, to work the field, they would have to go to the Philistines. 
So the Philistines were a very dominant economic force, but they're also a very dominant military force. And Israel had just rubbed the Philistines up the wrong way. And in particular, Jonathan had rubbed the Philistines up the wrong way by making a raid on them in chapter 13. And of course, then uh, Saul offered the sacrifice without waiting the, the full time for, for Samuel. And Samuel had said, you, 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 your, your kingdom is going to be taken away because, because of what you did. So it was a very bleak time in, in the history of Israel and a, and a very fearful time. And <clears throat> that fear was particularly apparent uh, with Saul himself. The contrast between Saul and Jonathan um, is, is very, very clear. The contrast between fear on the one side and faith on the other side was epitomized between Saul and his son, Jonathan. So where was Saul, the leader, the commander in chief of Israel? He was with his 600 men under a pomegranate tree at a place called Migron. Many people think that's the same place as another place that was um, <clears throat> mentioned in the book of Judges called Rimon, where, which, which means pomegranate. And it was a place where 600 men, Benjamites, who were also Benjamites, had fled for safety. Um, it was like a, kind of under, under a, a, a big rock. Uh, they were uh, trying to uh, be safe in this place. And here was Saul in a similar situation. He was under this pomegranate tree, wasn't really doing anything. They could see the Philistines on the other side of the, of the valley, so to speak. And uh, they could see the multitude of the army and they were paralyzed by fear and, and unbelief. I think one of the one of the lessons that we have from from this whole pandemic is not only how contagious is the the virus the potential of the virus covid-19 but arguably more contagious than the virus itself is fear and the fear that has spread uh, throughout the world um, in relation to this uh, virus, especially among those who, who don't know, don't know the Lord. Uh, the fear has been something, something else. And that's, that is the nature of fear. It's a, it's a very contagious, um, very contagious um, phenomenon. And we're very human and we're influenced by, by, by others. And that can be for good. Or, or for bad. And I think another, another um, common theme, if you like, of this pandemic, or something that's become apparent during the pandemic, is that in general, humans don't like taking risks. They're, they're pretty risk, risk averse. Um, and we can see that, you know, you know, while there's obviously dangers with 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 the COVID nineteen, the response 
to it, some, some might argue, has been um, disproportionate to the actual uh, disease itself. And, you know, we can, we can debate as to whether that's 100% true or not, but certainly it would seem that there is a case to be made for saying that the, the, the cure, uh, as they say, is worse than, than the disease. And why has why has that response been so um, so big? I mean, it's we can see even in the last week or so there have been riots in 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 places like the Netherlands and and France. Um, people coming up saying, you know, this is too much. This there's too many restrictions going on. It's too much. But they tend to be a minority. Most people are are, are kind of going along with 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 with. Uh, whatever is being handed down, the restrictions, et cetera, um, because they are afraid um, of that it might spread. <clears throat> Even though we know that there are going to be very significant economic consequences due to restrictions, there are very significant mental, mental health uh, consequences, and there are very significant uh, health issues as well for people who, you know, who mightn't be getting the treatment that they should. And in any kind of situation like this it's always you know left up to the government essentially to to balance you know are we taking too much risks or uh, are we are, can we take a certain amount of risk and, and balance the various risks but certainly i think it would be a fair assessment to say that the emphasis has been to avoid risks uh, if at all possible and what the government are doing normally reflects what the people what the people want the majority of people and i think in general people are are uh risk averse people don't people don't like taking risks and and there's absolutely a place for being you know being cautious um you know and that's why you know governments are there because there does need to be a certain amount of stability and, and regulation and all that sort of stuff and that's why they're there but if you had as it as it's kind of happening now sort of total risk aversion that obviously stops the economy you won't you wouldn't have any businesses starting up if if, if everyone was was risk averse so you need you need a balance between sort of you know prudence and, and risk takers and i would, i would argue that by our human nature most of us fall into the the former category which is uh, we are risk averse people don't like to take risks if they don't have to there are the exceptions and you see the people like the <clears throat> elon musk's you know richest man in the world and he he's he's become successful because he was willing to take a risk he took a risk on on you know the electric cars the tesla cars and and it's paid off and so you need that those people who are taking risks if you want a, a, a country or an economy to, to thrive. Um, so it can't all be be risk averse. But I think again, I think the tendency is for people to be risk averse because we don't, you know, we 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 by nature we have we have fear, we have a fair amount of fear. So that, if you like, Saul and and the Israelites, if you like, encapsulate that at this point in time. Saul had been deserted by so many of his, his, his army because they were afraid. They saw the Philistines 
and that they weren't happy. They saw their army, their, their chariots, their horses, and they didn't want to have any of it. They wanted to hide. Even though we know that the God of Israel was with them. And it's ironic, isn't it, that the God of Israel was going to be their, their, uh, their king. And they, they replaced him for a human king in Saul. And all of a sudden fear, uh, the, the fear is everywhere. If they really believed that God, the Lord, was their king, um, they obviously they wouldn't have that fear because it doesn't matter, as, as, as Jonathan says, you know, it doesn't matter if there's many or few. When we're with the Lord, the Lord can save. It doesn't matter whether by many or by few. And Jonathan is an obvious example of someone who is not um, going to be ruled by fear. Um, he had faith, faith in the Lord. And it wasn't that he had... <clears throat> It wasn't that he had 100% faith because he still said to his armor bearer, he needed encouragement from his armor bearer. He said, you know, um, in verse six, um, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few, but he consults his armor bearer and the armor bearer encourages him. And then he also puts in, you know, a little test. You know, if the Philistines say, come up, then that's a sign that God is with us in this battle. Otherwise, uh, we won't, we'll stay put. And to be honest with you, it's, it, it's, a, it's a test, but it, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like to, to, to stake my life on a test like that uh, because it seems like a, almost like a toss of the coin, you know, uh, whether they say go up or, or don't go up. Uh, but he was putting out a bit of a test, but it wasn't, it wasn't, um, it wasn't a huge test. It was almost like a 50-50 test. So he had, he had faith in God, but he just wanted to be, uh, he wanted to be certain. And we see what, we see what happens, um, how, how God uh, used uh, Jonathan and his armor bearer to, to defeat uh, these, these 20 men. And, <clears throat> the, the slaughter in verse 14, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, was about 20 men within about half an acre of land. So this was the, their first real incursion into the Philistine camp, and they, they killed 20 men. And what's, what's fascinating um, is just the detail that, that, that uh, um, the scripture gives on this account in terms of two, the two stones um, the small passageway and the half an acre of land. I just want to read something for you. Um, from a historian. It was actually, sorry, it was actually from a, an army officer in the, from the First World War, a British army officer from the First World War. And those of you who know their, their history will know uh, that that Britain uh, basically conquered Palestine, took Palestine from from the from the Ottoman Empire, the, Tur the Turks, um, in the First World War. I just want to read this little passage from uh, from one of these uh, from a major in 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 that uh, 
that battle. Here's a story from Major Vivian Gilbert, a British Army officer. <clears throat> in the First World War, a brigade major in Allenby's army, that was General Allenby, who was the leader of the, the, the British Army in the Middle East, in Palestine, was on one occasion searching his Bible with the light of a candle, looking for a certain name. His brigade had received orders to take a village that stood on a rocky prominence on the other side of a deep valley. It was called Mikmash, and the name seemed somehow familiar. Eventually, he found it in 1 Samuel 13 and read there, And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people that were present with them, abode in Gibeah of Benjamin, with the Philistines encamped in Mikmash. It then went on to tell how Jonathan and his armor bearer crossed over during the night to the Philistines' garrison on the other side and had he passed two sharp rocks. There was a sharp rock on the one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozes and the name of the other, Senna. They clambered up the cliff and overpowered the garrison. Within, as it were, a half an acre of land, which a yoke of oxen might plough. The main body of the enemy, awakened by the melee, thought they were surrounded by Saul's troops and melted away and they went on beating down one another. Isn't it interesting that they, they beat one another with the very weapons that the Israelites didn't have, the very weapons that they saw as their source of strength. Thereupon Saul attacked his whole, with his whole force and beat the enemy. So the Lord saved Israel that day. The brigade major reflected that there must still be this narrow passageway through the rocks between two spurs at the end of the half acre of land. He woke the commander and there read the passage together once more. Patrols were sent out and they found the pass, which was thinly held by the Turks and which was led past two jagged rocks, obviously Bozes and Senna. Up on top, beside Mikmash, they could see by the light of the moon, a small flat field. The brigadier altered his plan of attack. Instead of deploying the whole brigade, he sent one company through the pass under the cover of darkness. The few Turks whom they met were overpowered without a sound. The cliffs were scaled and shortly before daybreak, that company had taken up a position on the half acre of land. The Turks woke up and took to their heels in disorder since they thought they were being surrounded by Allenby's army. They were all killed or taken prisoner. And so after thousands of years, British troops successfully copied the tactics of Saul and Jonathan. So we see that the detail here of, uh, in the Bible from 2000 or 3000 years previously, was, there was a repeat of history. How Jonathan's um, knowledge of, of, of the, the, the hill land combined with his faith in God had led to a, a, great, a great initial victory for, for the Israelites, which turned into a huge victory once um, all the other Israelites saw that uh, what was going on, they were encouraged. And in the same way, over 2,000 2, years later, almost 3,000 years later, uh, the British army um, almost repeated 
uh, the same the same attack um, on the Turks just verifies uh, the word of God. But more important than that, it teaches us a lesson that even though fear is contagious, so is fate. Fate is contagious. And it only takes one or two people uh, to take God at his word that will inspire many others um, to, to do good works. And Jonathan was, was, was such a person. And maybe God, God is calling you um, to take God at his word, um, uh, to, to, take, to take a risk for, for God. And you know, when we think about it, as I said before, you know, we tend to be risk averse. And there's a good reason for that. Because when you take a risk, no matter what the type of risk is, there can be that funny feeling in your stomach or in your, your heart going through palpitations. You're, you're, you're a bit afraid. You're a bit afraid because, you know, it, it's risky. It's, it's by, by its very nature. It's not a comfortable place. You're not in that comfort zone, so to speak, under the pomegranate tree doing nothing. But God's word clearly says, without faith, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And, you know, that's a real challenge. Uh, it's been a real challenge to me just reading this passage in the last day or so, asking myself, you know, how, how much of my Christian walk is a faith-filled Christian walk? Or how much of it, of me, is just trying to survive? Trying to get through, trying to, you know, get home on, on limp mode. You know, if you were in a car you, you, and there's a problem with your car, you want to just get home on limp mode. And how much of us are trying to just get through this life on limp mode until... Um, we go to heaven or until the Lord comes back. But that is not what God calls of us. He calls us uh, to advance his kingdom. Jesus says the kingdom of God advances forcefully and forceful may lay hold of it. And we see how Saul, uh, Jonathan's um, advancement pushed back uh, the Philistines, advanced the Israelite kingdom. And it was because Jonathan knew his God. Jonathan knew the promises of God, that God had commanded Joshua and his army to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you. God had promised them the promised land. It was a promise that God had made to them. And Jonathan was acting upon that. But no doubt when he was doing it, he was still, you know, he, he wasn't cool as a cucumber. I'm sure he was still afraid doing it, going up, climbing up uh, those rocks. I'm thinking back again to that um, picture of the, that, that garrison or the fort in the Phoenix Park. It's an imposing, imposing looking structure and you wouldn't take it on lightly. You know, there's the, 
and the, the enemy, you know, the enemy is very real. We know he is real. Satan, he is real. And um, it says he's the prince of the air of this world. And we can see it throughout, uh, throughout the world, the, the impact that he has. But arguably his greatest weapon is not physical weapons, but the fear that he puts into uh, people. The fear that can, that can uh, paralyze us all from doing the work of God. And God has called us to do um, good works. He created us in advance. Christ, we were created in Christ Jesus in advance to do good works. And sometimes I think we'd rather be risk averse. Think of Saul. Saul, even when, when the, the, um, the Philistines were melting away, as the scripture said, even when they were melting away, Instead of Saul going down to join Jonathan, he wanted to consult the priest, the high priest, who, by the way, was no longer the chosen priest of God because of, remember, the disobedience of Eli. Um, that, that lineage had been cut off. But Saul was still superstitious. He, he, wanted, to, he wanted to get 100% confirmation because what they used to do was the priest would consult with the ark or with the ephod as to whether should we go and attack um, this army or not this uh, this country or not and god would say yes or no but it was obvious that god was with jonathan it was obvious but still saul was very cautious and i think we can be like that we we can we can be in survival mode where we just want to get through the next crisis we just want to get through life through this pandemic but that is not what god has called us god has called us to be risk takers and i know as i say this <clears throat> um you know i i feel i feel like a hypocrite myself because you know that's not what i want to do I'm not pretending that it's it's something um, trivial. You know, you will often hear people saying, you know, um, quoting verses. Uh, we that you know um, we have power to take down strongholds, and you know our weapons uh, are not of this world. And it all sounds great on a Sunday morning, but then on Monday morning. Uh, it, it, it's very hard to put into practice, whether it's in your work or um, in a family situation where, where God maybe is calling you, prompting you to take a risk. And it, it's very hard. And I think, I think God just wants to assure us that we're not going to feel 100% confident all of the time when we take a risk. I don't believe that Jonathan, when he went up that mountain, he was just... You know, he didn't, his heart wasn't beating. I'm sure it was beating. And I know in my life, the times I have taken risks, a couple of times I've taken risks, I haven't been, you know, I haven't got 100% confirmation from God. This is definitely it. I mean, the confirmation that Jonathan got from God, you know, whether the Philistine said, come up or don't come up, I wouldn't call that bulletproof confirmation. It was something to go on, uh, but it wouldn't be bulletproof confirmation. And I believe, um, you know, God is saying, we need to step out 
and take a risk and sometimes be a bit, I don't know if afraid is the word, but be a bit nervous. Not, you know, not afraid of God or anything like that, but just, you know, kind of feel the fear a little bit, so to speak. Um, and then when God comes true, um, that will embolden us and, and strength, strengthen us. You know, the greatest <clears throat> antidote or the greatest vaccine for fear is faith. The greatest vaccine for fear is faith. I just saw this um, yesterday when I was preparing. It, it was uh, just an advertisement. We're all about, at the moment, we're all about um, building up our immune system. That, you probably see that backwards, but it says enrich your life. But it's a set of, it's a, it's a set of tablets, basically, uh, to help you build up your immune system. And all the talk at the moment is about vitamin D. We're not getting enough vitamin D. Um, <clears throat> and there's vitamin B, vitamin C. If we get these, it helps build up our immune system. And so how do we, you know, we can talk about, we can talk about, oh, we need, you know, we need faith. But faith, you know, some people have a gift of faith, but most of us um, need to build it up. And when we think of vitamin B, we think of, you know, eating your meats and your, your, your milks and your food. The word of God builds up our faith. It builds up our immune system against fear. Our vitamin B, our vitamin C, all those fruits. When we're in fellowship with, with um, our brothers and sisters, the fruit of love, uh, encouragement, patience, builds us up and it builds up our faith. It's important that we stay linked in uh, with our brothers and sisters during this time. Even though if we can't physically see them, it's important we do that. It builds up our faith and our immune system against the fear uh, that, that can often come upon us in the world. And our vitamin D is the sunshine. And as we worship God, as we worship in his glory, maybe it means you're in the kitchen, put on the, put on the worship music when, you're, when you're, you're cleaning up the kitchen. That's what I do. It builds us up. It builds up our faith. It builds up our immune system against fear. Fear that is in the world at the moment. But the best way, the best actual way to build up your immune system, anyone will tell you, <clears throat> is actually to expose it, expose your immune system to the bacteria, etc. That's the best way to build to build it up. And that means you need to be out there, you need to be taking risks. It doesn't mean you're going to get it right all the time. Look at in chapter 13, Jonathan made the, the first raid on the on the garrison and it caused a big commotion and it led to a, 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 a a desertion of most of the troops of Israel. It seemed like a catastrophic failure. And yet the very next chapter, we see Jonathan going again, going again in faith. You learn as you go, you need to take risks. And it's only when you take risks uh, that you're real, you can really build up your immune system. It's interesting that the, um, 
the name of the of the, the tablets here are called revive active and i believe god wants us to revive us to be active to have an active living faith not just something that we we kind of get by on you know we have our passport to heaven that's fine god wants us to be active james says faith without works is dead faith without works is dead you know i was really encouraged uh for example by i'm hearing uh, mandy there a couple of weeks ago just telling how she you know she witnesses in her workplace how she tells people about jesus in her in her workplace she's her bonus that encouraged me says i need to do i need to be doing that more also clive there a few weeks ago he would he you know he when he came out of the the retreat place he was at he he was so honest and so open about the about his issues in his life that made me think wow i need that's that's what i need to do and they're taking risks doing those things they're taking risks they're taking risks but they're also encouraging and emboldening others other people to take to take risks So we need to build up our we need to build up our faith. We need to build it up. The disciplines we know. We need to be active, but we also need to be active. We need to take a risk, and it doesn't mean it's going to feel perfect when you're doing it. Far from it. That's faith. That's where faith comes in. It doesn't mean you'll always have a word from God saying, "I want you uh, to talk to this person." Um, or I want you to go over and say sorry to somebody, whatever it is, you might, you mightn't feel the warm fuzzies, but God wants us to take risks. And another, another aspect, you know, again, I'm just so conscious. It's easy to talk about it. It's so easy to talk about it. And I was just thinking, why do we not do it? Why do we not do it? And it is obviously that, you know, the, the fear of failure or, we, we like our comforts. We don't like that feeling, that nervous feeling that we get. But that's okay. God still wants you to do it. But I look also at the people who do take risks. The people who do take risks. And one of the, the, the driving forces for them taking risks, it isn't just their fate. Because we all believe in God. We all believe the, the, the verses, you know, he says that he'd be with us. We all believe that in, in theory. But I believe a lot of the real risk takers are doing it because they're motivated. They're motivated. Yes, they feel a bit anxious about, about taking a risk for God, like maybe sharing the gospel or maybe, um, you know, going into a ministry, whatever it is. But they're motivated. That motivation overrides uh, their their caution, so to speak. You know, you, you often hear uh, these these speakers. They they get they get um, lots of money. You know, speaking. They could be successful sportsmen or successful businessmen. Motivational speakers at these conferences. They get lots of money. Um, I'm not sure how effective they are to actually motivate people. It's a key, it's a key aspect. If you want 
if you want to do something new, if you want to take a risk, whether it's with a business or, or in a spiritual sense, you need a motivation. For many businessmen, it's, it can just be, you know, the money or it could be fame or whatever. For us, we need to, we need to be motivated. And as it says in, in um, Second Corinthians, uh, Paul, is, Paul is writing in Second Corinthians, what motivates him? Second Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judged us. If one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, then those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. God wants us to be risk takers. And we can only do that when we know the love of God, not just for ourselves, but the love of God that he has for others. He has for this, this world. Let that be our motivation as we seek to take risks for the Lord and advance his kingdom. Let faith triumph over fear and let's be active let's actually be be active um let's have that re revival and I, I believe it's certainly something uh, that god is speaking to me i need to be active active in taking risks believing that the lord can accomplish it by many or by few Father, Lord, I pray that we would not be um, <clears throat> like that man who, who buried his talent, Lord, for fear of you, Lord. He buried his talent for fear of you. Lord, you've given us all talents. Lord, each person knows what their talent is. Lord, I pray uh, that we would use those talents um, to advance your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that we would be a body of risk takers, Lord. Lord, we know that you, you promise, you promise that you will be with us. You are called to be bold and courageous. Lord, it doesn't mean at times it might be scary, Lord, because it will be scary at times. But Lord, you will be with us. You, win, you can embolden us, Lord. I pray this for, a, it will be a concrete reality um, in our lives, Lord, not just something we talk about um, on Sundays. Help, help me, Lord, I pray in particular, Lord, uh, to take risks for you. In Jesus' name, amen.